so we are uh, we're starting a teaching series this morning. Uh, we're in the season. Carlos said earlier that we're in the season called Advent, which is basically um, throughout uh, throughout Christian history, um, followers of Jesus have set aside the four Sundays before Christmas to to prepare our hearts to again remember um, that the Son of God stepped into human history um, in the form of Jesus. And so uh, we're in the season of preparing our hearts again uh, to remember the coming of Jesus. And uh, what we're going to be doing is taking these four Sundays and be talking about, okay, if, if, um, if the birth of Jesus is God, is God answering uh, the problems of humanity, uh, answering, speaking into the longings of the human heart, um, looking at the life of Jesus, how do we see that working? How do we, what do we see? How does Jesus address the deep longings of the human experience? And so we're going to be talking about that um, today and over the coming weeks um, up to Christmas and actually a couple Sundays after Christmas as well. So that's, that's where we're going to be. This Sunday, I want to start this morning, um, not in ancient Palestine, but in January 2002 in rural Indiana. So I want you to imagine this. Uh, I am, I'm at my apartment um, with, uh, it's my senior year in college, January my senior year, and I'm sitting there in, in the TV hangout room with my good friend Brian and my then girlfriend, Christy, uh, future wife. And we're hanging out. And uh, we got just a few months left till graduation. And my friend Mike walks in. Mike, uh, he's, a, he's a really good guy, 6'5". I'd gotten to know him when we traveled uh, a couple years before. And uh, Mike comes in and he dims the lights and he puts on Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. So he, he knows that we are deep U2 fans. And so he places this on and he says, guys, I need you to listen to me. I have a proposition to make. I know graduation is coming. It's right around the corner, and we're going to graduate from college. And then he said, guys, I know that there's this danger. We're just going to spread around the country and get nine-to-five jobs and, you know, just kind of these entry-level positions and try and make it into, you know, live for the weekends. And he said, guys, we, this is a unique time in our lives. So I want to do something with it. So I want to travel. I want to go around the world. I want to serve the poor to the poor. I want to follow Jesus wherever he sends us. I want to climb mountains. I want to do it with my best friends in the world. So guys, I want to do it with you. Will you take your next year and just go with me? Go. We're going to go to the other side of the world. Will you do this with me? And Brian and I look at him and say, yes. Yes, we will. We'll go. Let's do it. 100%. No questions asked. Count us in. Mike goes over and he turns the music down. And then, uh, and then I say, actually, I, I do have a question. So did you say where we're going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, uh, Mike had talked over Christmas break. He had talked, he, he was at a restaurant in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he had talked to a waiter from Kathmandu, Nepal, and he had gotten excited about Nepal and decided that we were all going to go to Nepal together the next year, and we did. Um, and our, and our, our lives for the last 10 years have been different because of it. And there is something about getting invited into an adventure, getting invited into something, being, being asked to join something bigger, going out on a mission, or even a relationship, being invited into a relationship that's worth fighting for, something bigger. There's something that our hearts yearn for that. I mean, pay attention. Uh, pay attention to the movies or the books that we read or watch these days. So many, if you know, so many of the stories being told start with something like this. 
ordinary guy or ordinary girl just going about their day, predictable life, and then something happens. They meet someone or a, or a, a radioactive spider bites them. And then all of a sudden they get, they get pulled into this incredible adventure. That we, we long to be pulled into a story bigger than ourselves. And so we read stories about Bilbo Baggins or Katniss Everdeen or Harry Potter or Peter Parker. People just going about ordinary lives and then pulled into this amazing adventure, this purpose, this mission bigger than they ever imagined. Our hearts yearn for that. And it's fascinating because we'll read stories about that. We'll watch movies about that. We'll, we'll read books about that. We're drawn towards that. And yet... Then we'll go out into the modern world and we'll talk about how actually there is no bigger story. There is no bigger purpose. A lot of people believe that today. A lot of people say that. So a quote I was reading the other day that I think kind of captures this for me is um, in in kind of the modern way of seeing the world, uh, um, a lot of people turn to science to answer the biggest questions of life. Not just to answer like how things work physically, but they turn to science as a philosophy to answer all the great questions of life. And uh, Neil Postman, writing about this, kind of summarizes how science answers all the big questions of life. And he, and he says this. He says, to the question, how did it all begin? Science answers, probably by an accident. To the question, how will it all end? Science answers, Probably by an accident. And to many people, the accidental life is not worth living. See, if you turn, if you turn to science to answer the biggest questions of human existence, the answers we get are the world began as an accident, the world's going to end as an accident, and you're here by an accident. And it's this interesting dichotomy. The, 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 many of the modern ways of seeing the world say that life is just accidental. There's no bigger story. There's no bigger purpose. And yet then we look inside of our hearts and we find this longing. And we write, mo- we, write, we write books about it. And we watch movies about this longing to be pulled up into a purpose, a mission, a story bigger than ourselves. More than just of our own invention. It's an interesting dichotomy. I mean, what is it? What is, is life just an accident? Are we here just by accident? Is that it? Is, our, is the meaning of our life, our identity, our purpose, is it simply our own invention? What we create for ourselves, nothing more, nothing bigger. Or is there a bigger story out there? Is history headed somewhere? Something that we get invited into? Something that's already happening that we can join in with? I want to read a story this morning about Jesus. Uh, because I believe Jesus answers this question. I want to read a story about Jesus inviting someone into a story that's bigger, into where history is headed, into an identity of purpose bigger than he ever imagined. We're going to be this morning uh, in the book of Luke uh, in chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along. Luke is after uh, Mark and before John. It's way to the right. But we'll also have the words on the screen above, so you can follow along that way as well. Or just listen. Some people, it distracts them to read and listen at the same time. You're welcome to do that. So, uh, Luke 5. Let's, uh, let, me just, let me just tell you this story. So, it begins this way. Luke 5, verse 1. One day, 
as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus is out teaching. He's at this, this lake called the Lake Gennesaret, a.k.a. the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's way in the north of the country, way in the north of Israel. You see it's got an orange circle around it there. And Jesus, a lot of his, a lot of his work happened right around there. And so he's out teaching. And we, in a little bit, we find out that it's the morning because of the, what the fishermen are doing. You'll see that in a minute. But it's the morning time. And he's at the seashore. It would have probably looked something like this. And, uh, and these people, whenever you read these ancient biographies of Jesus, one of the things you pick up is that, that no one was bored by Jesus. I mean, people either... They just wanted to be around him all the time and hang on every word he said. Or they wanted to kill him. Nobody was bored. And here we find these people early in the morning and they're just hanging on his every word. They're out listening to him. And, uh, and apparently it's a large crowd because in a minute we're going to see us to do something so we can speak to all them. So verse 2, it says, He, Jesus, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. Who were washing their nets. So there's two boats pulled up on shore. The boats probably would look something like this. Um, probably fit about a dozen people in them. And there's two of these pulled up on shore. And uh, the way fishing worked back then is that the fishermen, they would fish all night long. So fishing was a night job. You'd fish all night long because the nets they used, they weren't these thin nylon nets. They were these thick linen nets that fish could see. So you had to fish at night so the fish couldn't see the nets. So um, they'd fish all night long, and they, this is an example of one of these, these nets. They're called a trammel net, and you've got like a layer of thin mesh and then a layer of real wide mesh. And uh, you'd lay the net out, and then one, one group, one uh, boat would go out, and they'd make all this noise in the water, smacking paddles and gourds and stuff in the water, scare the fish. They crash into the fine netting, get all tangled up in the wide netting, and then the other boat pulls them in, untangles it, there, there's, your, uh, there's your catch. And so imagine, I mean, it's hard work. Uh, no lights, you know, it's not, they don't have spotlights out there, uh, no Gore-Tex rubber or anything. I mean, they're just, you're out there, it's dark, it's cold, it's wet, it's long, tiring work. That's what these fishermen are doing. And now it's the next morning, and because these nets are linen, um, you, you imagine linen is not lasting really long in the water, and so every, every, at the end of every shift, every morning, you have to pull the nets out, get all the dirt and seaweed and whatnot off them, and then dry them out. So they stay fresh. Otherwise, they'll rot in no time. So um, it's the morning, and uh, that's what these guys are doing. They're cleaning their nets. And uh, has anybody, have you ever worked a night shift? Who's worked night shift before? You know what it feels like, the, you know, the morning? You're just, you're, these, these guys, they've, they've been cold and wet. It's dark. They're just ready to get their nets clean and head on home. Maybe go sell whatever fish they got, and then just go home and crash. That's where these guys are at. And uh, this is what happens next. Uh, verse 3. Um, Jesus, it says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. So they're, prob- they're on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and I think we have a picture of, yeah, so this is a unique kind of geographical feature on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. There's this one place where the, the seashore makes a natural amphitheater. And you can see how if you put a boat out in the middle of that and then kind of sit people around the shore and sloping up there, you'd have this natural amphitheater around there. And so it's very possible that this is where this is taking place, that Jesus thinks, okay, i got to talk to all these people. They all want to hear me. It's too crowded. I'm going to put this boat out here. They can all sit around the shoreline, and I'll talk to them. But, but it's, I think it's really kind of funny. Jesus doesn't go over to Simon and say, Hey, Simon, can I borrow your boat? No, it just says that he got into the boat. He, so, you know, 
you can picture Simon, he's got him and his work crew, they're over there working on the nets, and then all of a sudden one of the guys is like, is that rabbi in your boat? <laughs> and it just says that Jesus is in the boat, you know, standing there. Simon comes over, and um, Simon's like, what are you, that's my boat. Why are you standing in my boat? And Jesus says, I'm commandeering your boat. Can you, put, can you give me a little push? And uh, so they, okay, so he pushes him out, boats out into the water there so he can teach. And, uh, and so Jesus now, has, he's got Simon's boat. And so Simon's kind of a captive audience because he needs his boat to go home. So he's, he gets to sit and listen. And uh, this is what it says. It says, then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And so Simon's there. He's, he's ready to go home. He's ready to go crash, fall asleep. But uh, he can't go anywhere until Jesus is done with his boat. And so he's listening. He's listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus is talking about why he's come and what he's here about. And Jesus, you can read about his teachings throughout the ancient biographies called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But um, he's probably talking about things like he's probably saying, hey, um, history is going somewhere. History is going somewhere. Yes, I know that evil and sin and death are loose in this world. I know this world is not as it should be. But Jesus says something called the kingdom of God, the reign or rule of God, God's healing work is breaking into this world. Jesus says, God's healing work in me is coming into this world. God is beginning to make the sad things come untrue. And it's happening in and through me. And if you hang around me, you'll see it beginning. And you have to imagine that Simon, sitting there, probably like the other crowds that followed Jesus around, Simon began to be intrigued. What is it? What is he talking about? He's, He's... He's beginning the healing of the world, healing human hearts. What is he talking about? So Simon is sitting there listening to Jesus teach. Um, so then verse 4, Jesus finally finishes. It says, when Jesus, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. So I, can, I imagine at this point, okay, Simon's like, oh, okay, he's wrapping up. There you go. Finish the teaching. Get my boat and go home. It's going to be good. Good day's sleep. And then, but Jesus catches him off guard. He says, says to Simon, Put out into deep water and let the nets and let down the nets for a catch. Now, if I was Simon, I just I'd think, wait, what'd you say? You are a teacher and you're really good at it. And I also heard you're a carpenter, a stonemason. I'm sure you're good at that. I am a fisherman, Jesus. We fish at night. We don't fish in the day. And we just finished cleaning our nets, and we don't want to put... Because if we put them out in the water again, we're going to have to clean them all over again. What is, Jesus, are you sure you want me to do that? And you can even hear. Listen to, listen to Simon's answer. Verse 5. You can, you can hear it in his voice. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Long pause. Simon's like, we haven't caught anything. And Jesus looks back. Simon says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Simon decides to to do this small act of trust. I know this doesn't make sense. I feel like I'm an expert in this area, but if you're asking me to do it, I'm going to trust you. Okay, let's put him back out in the water, guys. So he gets his work crew. They get in the boat. They take the boat out. They drop the nets down. And when they, verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
Uh, some scholars think, um, because they, they, uh, they bring the other boat out and they end up filling them both up. Some scholars think we're talking about three quarters of a ton of fish. Three quarters of a ton of fish. Two weeks worth of work for these guys. Verse 7, so they signaled their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. You, the, you could just picture the other, God, they're waving them kind of in the other boat. They're paddling out there and they're just giggling. I mean, it, to them it's payday. Payday, look at this fish. It's raining fish. And, uh, but Simon, it seems like he has a different reaction to what happens. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Um, a lot of times uh, in, our, in our world today, when, uh, when people talk about uh, belief in God. There's a, there's a common, uh, common critique about belief in God. A lot of people follow in the footsteps of Freud. And Freud said that um, belief in God is wish fulfillment. That we wish there be a big daddy in the sky. And so we convince ourselves it's true. That's, that's, uh, and you'll hear different versions of this argument. But religion is wish fulfillment. And, um, but often what people don't do is they don't ask that same question about their unbelief. Because what we see here is Simon encounters someone beyond his experience. And his first reaction is, get away from me. See, uh, I think sometimes our unbelief could just as easily be wish fulfillment. I think sometimes we might wish there is no God. Because that might mean there's someone who can make demands on us. There's someone who can tell us what we're meant to do with our life. There's someone who can demand that we're not the center of our lives, that he is. There's someone that can say, this is how we ought to live and this is not how we ought to live. And I think we have to equally be willing to ask questions about our unbelief. Is our unbelief wish fulfillment? Because Simon encounters someone outside of his experience. Some, a power that he did not understand and could not control. And his first reaction isn't, oh goody. His first reaction is fear and get away from me. This scares me. This is beyond me. I think it's interesting um, also just to think about the idea of miracles. I think another objection um, when, when our modern ears hear a story like this, is we hear the story and we think, oh, come on, now okay. I can believe that Jesus was a wise teacher and said wise things. He was good, you know, a good religious teacher. But the miracles part, we know. We know miracles can't happen now. We, we have science today. We know miracles can't happen. And we'll say that. And, there's, and when, when people say that miracles can't happen, really what, what, what we're saying is that things outside of our regular experience can't happen. Things outside of our regular everyday experience can't happen. And we'll say that, but the, at the same time, our modern world will talk very seriously about things like quantum mechanics and time bending and black holes and alternative universes. And then we'll say, but we know miracles can't happen. This happened. And I believe not only did it happen, I believe Simon, who is there with Jesus, is actually the eyewitness who 
gave this story to Luke to write down. This happened. Simon encounters a power that he cannot explain and he cannot control, and he's scared. And this is... uh, this is what happened next. So, once again, it says, uh, Simon said, Go away from me, Lord, I am sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then this is Jesus' response to Simon and his fear. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Don't be afraid. The most Uh, repeated command in Scripture, don't be afraid. The most repeated command in Scripture, don't be afraid. Here's Simon. He's encountered this power that he can't explain. He can't understand. It's beyond him. And he's scared. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And then Jesus makes him a promise. Jesus invites him into a story, a mission, a purpose, bigger than he imagined for himself. He says, Peter, you're not... You're not going to, I, I know you have this safe, predictable world of fishing every night like your granddad did and your dad did. But, um, but Simon Peter, I'm going to do something in your life bigger than you imagine. You are going to fish for people. He says, Simon, I'm, I'm doing something in this world. I'm healing human hearts. I'm bringing hearts back to God. And Simon, I am going to invite you to do that with me. Let me give you your identity, Simon. Let me give you your mission in life. Let me open up your eyes to the horizon in this bigger story of what's going on in the world. Join me, Simon. And then verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. They pulled their boats up on shore and left everything. I don't think that means they just left the fish out because that wouldn't keep well out in the sun that long, three-quarters of a ton of fish. Um, their, their work crews probably took care of that for them. But then um, Simon and his brother Andrew and, James, and their partners James and John, they end up following Jesus uh, for three years around ancient Israel on this incredible ministry. They see Jesus touch lepers um, and heal paralyzed men and bring people back to the dead. They see Jesus confront uh, oppressive religious teachers. They see Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. What does it mean to live as friends with God? And eventually they see Jesus uh, go to his execution as he's betrayed by a close friend. And then uh, three days later, they meet the risen Jesus after he defeats death itself. And then Peter and Andrew and James and John, these fishermen who met Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, they end up going throughout the known world telling people about this, this rabbi who claimed to be the Son of God and who defeated death and rose from the dead. And Simon ends up at the center of the known world, Rome, being a leader in the early Jesus movement and writing letters that are still read today, gets invited into this incredible story. Simon had a choice. He had this safe, predictable world um, where uh, he could fish every night and he could, he could he concentrate on his work, fishing, and his close friends, his partners. And he had this safe world. Um, and maybe, maybe Simon tried to ignore those bigger questions, purpose of life, meaning of life, mission in life, and he just concentrated these things right in front of him. But then 
uh, one day Jesus interrupts. Jesus breaks into his world. And Jesus invites him into a bigger story, a bigger identity, a bigger purpose, a bigger mission. And I believe Jesus still does this today. I believe Jesus still comes to us. And maybe you're here this morning. And maybe when you look out at the world and maybe you're, you're, ha- you're half tempted to believe into the, in, those, the, in those things that, yeah, we're just here by an accident. And um, we're here by an accident. The world's going to end an accident. My life's an accident. And there's no bigger purpose or bigger story or bigger mission. And maybe you're tempted to believe in that. Maybe you're tempted like Simon just to concentrate on, I'm going to do a good job at my work. And I'm going to have my partners, my friends. And that's going to be my meaning. I'm going to invent it for myself. Maybe you're there this morning. And I believe that Jesus still walks up to people and he still interrupts people's lives. I believe Jesus still says, I'm doing something in this world. I'm healing. I'm making the sad things come untrue. I believe Jesus still demonstrates his power to people as they step out in trust of him. And I believe Jesus still calls people to trust him. Don't be afraid. Follow me. I'm going to do something with your life you never imagined. Trust me. I guess I want to end with this question. This is the question uh, for us as we go. Where are you in the story? Think about this. Think about it this afternoon. Think about it as you eat lunch. Think about it as you're lying on your pillow before you fall asleep tonight. Where are you in this story? What part of the story do you identify with? Do you identify with, with Simon getting interrupted by Jesus? And you, maybe you feel like Jesus has got your boat and you just want to go home. Maybe right now you think, I got dragged here this morning, Mr. Tim, and you're just talking about Jesus. I'm ready to go. Is that where you identify? But maybe there's part of you that's curious, like Simon. You're like, but I, I sort of want to keep hearing more. Or do you identify with, with Simon? Maybe, you know, Simon heard the teachings of Jesus, but then there's this moment. It was like he, he hadn't yet seen the power of Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at. You think, ah, yeah, you know, I've heard a lot about, I've heard a lot of the words about Jesus. I've heard a lot about his teachings, but Tim, I want to see his power. I want to see his, his action in real life. And Simon had to make a decision. Simon didn't go to Jesus and say, Simon didn't twist Jesus' arm. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, you better give me a whole bunch of fish or I'm not going to follow you. That's not what happened. Instead, Jesus took the initiative. He said, Simon, trust me in this little thing. I know it doesn't make sense. Trust me with it. And when Simon decided to trust Jesus in dropping the nets out, that's when Jesus revealed his power to Simon. Is there something that he's calling you a small thing that he's calling you to trust him with, to obey him with? Maybe he wants to show you his power, his action in real life. Or maybe, or maybe you're like Simon uh, after you've seen Maybe you've heard, you know the teachings of Jesus. Maybe you've seen, you've lived enough where you, you know he, he's real. He can do things like that. But maybe you're afraid. You're afraid of what he will ask of you. Maybe you feel him saying, come trust me. Follow me. I want to do something with your life. And maybe it scares you. 
because you don't know what he's going to ask of you, what he'll ask you to give up, what he'll ask you to sacrifice. Maybe it scares you. Maybe this morning you hear Jesus saying to you, don't be afraid. Trust me. Trust me. I want to end with a, a quote, a recommendation of a book and a quote uh, by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He wrote a book named Orthodoxy. If you want to explore more about Christianity, um, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. Uh, written at the beginning of the century, but still relevant today. And uh, he's got a line in there that reminded me about uh, what we were talking about this morning. But he said this. Um, he was talk- Chesterton's talking about his own, his own finding God or God finding him. And he said, he said, I had always felt life first as a story. Chesterton says, I, I'd always, I always knew that it wasn't just an accident, that life is a story. And he said, and if there's a story, there's a storyteller. In the account of Simon, the storyteller steps into Simon's life. And he says, let me write the story of your life for you. And the, story, the storyteller still steps into our lives today saying, let me write the story of your life for you. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we, aren't, we aren't interested in um, religious games. We aren't interested in going through the motions. Jesus, we are very interested in what is real and what is true. Uh, what it means to live a, a deeply good life. Jesus, we believe um, that you show us that, that you are real, you are true, that you are here this morning by your spirit, and that you can, you can lead us, you can live your good life through us. And so um, help us, help us to trust you. Help us to know what that even means in the practical decisions of our life. Um, we again, as a community, open ourselves to you and um, ask for you to work. We love you very much. In your name, amen.